Money FM 89.3, best of the evening runway. Regional Roundup. Money FM 89.3, it is the evening runway. Time now to take a look at key headlines from out of the region. So here we go again. Plans for the Kuala Lumpur Singapore High Speed Rail or the HSR have hit another bump. Malaysia facing challenges uh, to bring back the KL Singapore HSR through the private sector. Uh, we've got interested entities seeking government support as well. Well, the HSR, if you recall, initially estimated to cost 72 billion Malaysian ringgit when both Putrajaya and Singapore agreed to undertake this bilateral project. In 2013, construction was scheduled to start in 2016. So we're looking at a 350 kilometers uh, KL Singapore line. Uh, this was terminated back in January. 2021. Uh, this after both governments failed to reach a consensus and what happened uh, as a result was uh, Malaysia paying uh, 15 million Sing dollars in compensation. And so far new bids are in of course to revive this high-speed rail project yet government funding remains the missing link. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that and what's next. On the line with us is Adip Zalkampli who's director of Bauer Group Asia. Adip, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, good afternoon. I'm good. Thank you. So quite a focus we're having today on the KL Singapore HSR. Firstly, no real project in Asia has gotten off the ground without government funding. Yet we've got Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim's administration saying it'll not pay. We're talking, what, 28 billion Sing dollars for this project? Why are they so opposed to to funding the HSR? Or, or is it just opposed to funding the full amount? I think the what we've been hearing from the government so far about making this a purely private sector-led uh, project is, I think, consistent with generally with the government approach to be more careful with, with spending, especially in big infrastructure projects like the HSR. And also, I think the HSR discussion has been focused fully on the commercial aspect of it, and, and rightly so. I mean, it's a, it is a major infrastructure project almost unprecedented in Malaysia. So the discussion of the commercial aspect is very much necessary. But I think another aspect of HSR that has not been discussed is the uh, connectivity of it. I mean, various versions of, of HSR have been discussed, whether it's KL Singapore and or you know KL Forest City or KL uh, Johor Bahru. Other argument for HSR is the fact is the need to better connect the southern part of the peninsula Malaysia to Kuala Lumpur. And I, as you know, I think over the last 15 years since the Iskandar Malaysia was launched, I think there's a lot of talks about creating a new uh, uh, economic powerhouse in the south. So I think it's crucial for, for this region, for the southern peninsula to be better connected with uh, Kuala Lumpur. I think that aspect of HSR has not been, been discussed uh, about improving connectivity between uh, one important part of the country to, to Kuala Lumpur. I think this is one of the reasons that in the future will maybe force the government to change uh, or to review its position on not, uh, on not funding this project. So, Adib, we all know that this will be an economic boom wherever this train is going to stop along the way, right? So are these local governments also playing a part in trying to leverage on this uh, for, for funding? Yeah, I mean, it's not a, a straightforward project, but I mean, a major infrastructure project like this 
would usually be under the purview of the federal government. Mm-hmm. But of course, Malaysia has uh, also has state governments that, uh, that are responsible for land use and zoning laws involving the local government. So yeah, so that, there will be need, like the need for the three levels of government in, in Malaysia to, to work together to make sure this, this project is completed and feasible at the same time. Adip, stop me if I'm overstretching here, but why can't we look at a Japan model where you've got four different train companies running their bullet trains or Shinkansen? I mean, the economic impact it'll have with a high-speed rail through Malaysia. Let's let's just put Singapore out of the picture first. Through Malaysia, maybe something like what Taiwan has, where you could travel from uh, Taipei to the eastern side in less than two hours. Why can't private sectors or private companies look at this and capitalize on financing it? Yeah, I think that's a bit of a, I think there are various reasons why I think private sector has been a bit, I think, reluctant to, to show full support. I think one, one of the biggest reasons is the fact that the previous, the previous HSR project was cancelled by one administration. So I think there's a need for this government to show its uh, seriousness, you know, and, of the, and for, you know, for the government to put in some sort of guarantee to make sure that future governments would honor this project okay. or at least put this project at a, at a, uh, in a way that it, it cannot be discontinued by the future governments. So how, how can they do that? That's one of the things, I think, not just for this project, but for other foreign investors into Malaysia as well, that, that continuity, that stability in the government that, you know, one government comes in and just cancels something that's been planned by the previous government. How can you stop that from happening? Yeah, I think I think speed is of the essence here. Uh, if you look at the previous uh, major infrastructure projects that were were not cancelled or, or significantly reviewed, these projects have, have already been launched. Uh, you know, one example is the East Coast uh, Rail Link that started before the change of government, and also the uh, MRT project, the, the MRT two project in in in, uh, in Greater Kuala Lumpur uh, that was uh, that already started prior to the change of government. So once a project has been launched, once the uh, construction as civil works have reached a certain stage, it's going to be impossible for for any administrations or governments that are against such infrastructure projects to, to review or cancel it. Okay, uh, just a little bit more on this one, uh, Adip. Um, what's Singapore's point of view on this matter? Are we at a stage where it's once, once bitten, twice shy? I think at this stage it is still a domestic Malaysian matter. Okay. I think from what, what we've seen is just the company, the umbrella company managing HSR has only been getting responses to, to RFP from uh, private consortium about the construction operations of the of the HSR. I think once that is completed, then only will this company uh, through the Malaysian government submit a fresh proposal to the to the Singapore government. So right now it's still a a domestic matter for, for, for Malaysia. Okay. All right, let's switch gears now. I did. Let's talk about Thailand because uh, former Prime Minister Thaksin Sinawat was released on parole on uh, Sunday. In fact, it's his first day of freedom after stepping uh, back into Thai soil after 15 years of being in self-imposed exile. What does this mean for the former Prime Minister? What kind of influence does this man have in Thailand today? Yeah, I think Thaksin is best remembered uh, for, for his uh, influence, for his policies that, that benefited the, the rural population. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people call it 
as doing a, a populist policy. So he's still remem- remembered uh, for that. But I think, uh, but that, that was, you know, a long time ago. But I think I, the, his influence is somewhat, I think, over, you know, somewhat exaggerated, you know, due to his, uh, you know, the, the circumstances behind his losing power and, and so on. And the fact that his party now is with the, uh, has formed a new alliance, I think that influence has, I think, has uh, declined significantly since he was last in power. But it's still, it's, it's still a major, a major development. The fact mm-hmm. that he was released, and this issue has been used by, you know, this op- the opposition parties, you know, to highlight inconsistency in the in the in the criminal justice system and and, and so on. There's the other side as well. His daughter, her Thai party chief, uh, I think she was made that last year, was in a position for the prime ministerial post. Is this a likelihood, you know, sometime in the future perhaps? Could he have influence in manoeuvring this, this career or his daughter's career in that sense? It's still a few more years to go before, mm. before the next election. But of course, given his stature and his, you know, his previous position, he will, he will have a, some uh, influence, you know, in, in, in preparing his uh, his daughter, perhaps, for for position. But, you know, in politics, a lot of things can change in the next yeah. few years. A lot of things can change, but you know, if you look back to the Taksin era, you you can see the legacy he left behind. Uh, the airport, which is now expanding, yeah. the current yeah. prime minister also wanting to leave his yeah. own legacy. There, you have the the high speed rapid transit, also a Taksin legacy. Will people look back into that and say, "Hey, life was better during the Taksin times"? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think there will be, as I said, people who benefited from his, you know so-called populist policy will, you know, we look back and think of the the good old tactic days and maybe this, the segment of voters would, would support this, whoever the, that, he, that he endorsed in the, in the future. All right, Adip, uh, let's head over to Indonesia. Uh, last week, we covered the Indonesian elections as it went down, but uh, we'd like to get your thoughts on the results. The unofficial election result has put the Prabowo Subianto Gibran Rakabuming Raka ticket ahead sufficiently to avoid a second round showdown in the presidential race. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think firstly, I think one lesson we can learn from the uh, outcome of the presidential election is, you know, Rebranding is uh, possible, <laughs> and, and social media. In these other, I think, two important lessons, and how how he was, how he managed to rebrand himself. You know, for those who are old enough to remember how Prabowo was treated in the or ostracized in the in the late nineties, mm. all the way to the early two thousands. You know, his failed attempt, failed attempt, uh, contesting against uh, Jokowi, and how he managed to rebrand, and people forgot about what happened in the past, how, how his image was, you know, tarnished in the, in the, in the late 90s. So, yeah, so the, it's, again, so within that, not 20 years, he's managed to improve his image. Yeah. And also the emergence of new uh, internet platforms for his, for him to campaign and also the uh, young voters who probably not, uh, who did not remember or not aware of, 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 of his history, only voted solely based on his messages and his, uh, you know, appearance on, on social media. So, yeah, so that's a, that's a very interesting uh, approach. I guess yeah. it's not unique to Indonesia. Uh, I think it's happening elsewhere yeah. where candidates take to uh, social media platforms, obviously releasing short videos to win over the young voters. 
Rebranding is a fantastic thing when it comes to politics and commercial products as well. But let's look at what the new incoming president would bring onto the table in Indonesia. Yeah, I think we can, given his I think military background, I think that's a bit of a, I think, I think the most perception is that he will, you know, re-equate foreign relations with his experience as defense minister and as a, as a former officer. But I think we can expect a lot of continuity, mm-hmm. you know, given the kind of uh, support that he got from uh, from uh, outgoing President Jokowi and also his grand coalition. So there will be a continuity. But at the same time, I think Prabowo will, of course, will be his own man, be his own president and leave uh, his own mark as the president. More specifically, good news for Singapore-Indonesia ties? Well, yeah, I think it's, uh, Prabowo is unique in that sense that, you know, he spent uh, years abroad. Uh, in fact, you know, he went to secondary school in, in Kuala Lumpur and also spent a lot of time in, in Europe. So I think it's it's probably the first that we are going to have a, an Indonesian president who understands the neighbours unlike the previous president. Remember, given the fact that he was he spent some years in, in KL as, as a secondary school student. Mm-hmm. That should bring an interesting or quite a, a much needed perception within the government with regard to, you know, any, any policies moving ahead. And certainly it'll be quite interesting to see how things move forward. We've been speaking with Adip Zal Kapli, who is director at Bauer Group Asia. Adip, do appreciate your time today. Take care and have a great Wednesday ahead. Thank you. Thank you for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.